Emerge 2021, GDIT's signature virtual event series. See vision brought to life with GDIT and over 40 leading partners showcasing real solutions in digital modernization, emerging technology, and defense cloud. Register at GDIT.com slash emerge. Hey there, this is Zachary. And I'm Jay. The hosts of Fear and There. Thanks so much for listening to the following podcast on Public House Media. Disarming, disability. Hello, and welcome to Disarming Disability Podcast. I am Sarah Tuberty. And my name is Nicole Kelly. And we are so excited for you to join us in this wrap-up episode. Uh, If you have missed it, the past three episodes have all been about sexuality. And yes, that means literal sex, but also the idea of intimacy and closeness. And what that means from some different perspectives, from some different really, really cool experts um, who have looked at or worked in disability and sexuality for a really long time. Fantastic. All fantastic episodes, all fantastic perspectives, and and really helped us along the journey of really sort of deciphering what sexuality is and, and why this is a particular, why it is particularly important for people with disabilities. Uh, right now, I think there's sort of the, not right now, but I think we have very long history of people with disabilities being considered asexual in that they just don't engage in any type of sexual interactions and, and sexuality and intimacy interactions. And like you were saying, Nikki, like that could be actual sex or that could be holding somebody's hands or, or arm or, or, or being able to like, you know, touch and cuddle. Um, those are all forms of like sexuality and intimacy. And, and I think it's like over and over and over again, there's this perception that people with disabilities don't want to engage in those types of things. Yeah, I mean, totally. I feel like a lot of it ties back to, I mean, of course, what's reflected in my brain goes right to like media type spaces, which I know we kind of talk about a lot here, but I feel like what the media is reflecting is what they kind of think about different certain groups. And I think in this particular realm, it's literally not thought of at all, right? Um, so we are not seeing people with disabilities in any kind of, um, it, yeah, any kind of, I'll call it promiscuous. I'll, I'll, you know, use that word, but like any kind of like owning your sexuality and being proud of your sexuality uh, because it's almost looked down on. There's still this stigma that we're fighting against. So even if you know, a body like mine is to show up in sort of Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition. Probably the reaction, the assumption of that reaction is that it's going to be, oh, that poor girl, good for her for putting on a swimsuit and posing, right? Like, I mean, let's be honest, I got waves of that from doing this America stuff. Um, but, but, so it's weird because it's almost like we haven't been put in those positions because of the just like societal stigma. I feel like I said all that in a really, really weird convoluted way. So I hope you understood what I was trying to say. <laughs> no, totally. When I think that it, it's just 
like this is like thinking and trying to process everything. Yeah. Um, when you're saying that, like, just being on the cover of, like, Sports Illustrated or, like, when I was competing for the um, Maxim cover challenge, like, the, that, that's why it was important to me to be there. And, of course, I, I mean, I even thought my own thing about being, like, why would you want to be on the cover of something that is so sexualized like that? Like, you want to work with children. Like, what does this – how does this impact your ability to work with kids and whatever? But over and over again, it's like, no, this message of people with different bodies being seen as beautiful and having that be the norm – versus some, like, different sub-fetish type space, because I do feel like our bodies are sexualized in, in like, a fetish-y type way, um, and that's real. Let's, I mean, I suppose we're going to talk about that or not, but there's, there's the groups, um, and it's, they're, they're um, individuals who, who uh, I, I'm not sure the right way to, to sort of categorize They're called that. devotees. They're called devotees, <laughs> right? Yes, and so they, they have, like, sexual fetishes, on people, particularly with amputations, right? So, yeah, yeah, um, sorry. I guess we're talking about our own world in that instance, yeah. but, but it I, applies. It does. And it can't, I mean, just just because it's with amputations doesn't mean that it doesn't exist in other groups as well. Like, I can't imagine that there aren't sort of, like, subcultures of fetish type spaces that are also in, you know, like, fetish, fetishizing, fetish, what is the right word? Whatever, fetishizing. 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 I think you're turning, right. <laughs> turning various forms of disabled bodies into oh, totally. fetishes, right? So well and I think I think what's so, so deeply sad about that is the fact that again, that's any kind of chance that we're having to try to express our sexuality right now, the way that it's being caught or the attention it's kind of receiving lots of times really is from those fetish spaces. And that um obviously is something that is kind of a black hole of nastiness and so again that's just another layer on put on top of us of oh well we can't be sexualized or do anything sexual because if we are you know being proud of our sexuality the messages I receive into my Instagram account immediately are from people fetish what's the word again fetishizing me (laughs) fetish fetishizing (laughs) yeah so that, yeah. that feels really that feels really evil and dark and not good. And so it, it's just another layer, another barrier for us to jump through um, and kind of process and work through before we can be proud of who we are and what we bring to the table. Right. Yeah, agree. And I feel that we as a society in general really struggle with, with talking about sexuality and intimacy. And we as a society mean sort of this, like, Western um, – like Christiany, Americany uh, world. Um, We're so awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and just like don't talk about sexuality in general and sort of, and I feel like sexuality, I think it's assumed this like XX rated thing and, um, and that's all that sexuality is. So therefore we can't talk about it. Um, but I feel like sexuality, just as I'm learning, and I feel like this is sort of a fun thing that I'm learning is like every single thing is a spectrum. So I feel like there's such a spectrum to sexuality. And I just feel like not having access to information, not having access to like correct information, um, it really harms us as a, as a whole. Um, so then if we add disability on top of that, like, or I suppose if we come back that, like, if such sexual education and, like, intimacy and relationships is being taught anywhere, 
um, it absolutely doesn't have the disability chapter. So, so we're like further removed from that, or the disability section or the disability topic is just so much further removed, even if sexuality is brought up in any type of learning state. Um, and I say this in that, like, I'm so fortunate for growing up in Northern California that even in my, I went to a public, or sorry, I went to a private school in Northern California, and even in my, like, private religious school, like, every spring we had family life, and it was these workbooks, and I was pulling them out through my parents' house last week, or um, when I was there a couple months ago, and just, like, the level of just information that's in these and they talked a lot about just all of the different things related to sexuality and intimacy and, like, you know, closeness and partnerships and relationships and sort of, like, it just was so amazing. And I'm just so thankful that I had that every year from third grade to, like, 17, that all of these things are so normal for me um, or my baseline that I, I didn't realize that other people didn't have, like, this well-rounded of a sexual health curriculum. No, in the middle of public school, Iowa, mine was, we were supposed to get the sex talk in the fifth grade, and it was a big deal. Like, you you waited for that day all year long, and, like, nobody had talked to me about sex, but, like, you knew it was coming in the fifth grade. It was known. And then I was so disappointed because all we talked about instead was puberty and how to shave your legs. And, <laughs> and while that's very important to talk about, don't get me wrong, I wasn't actually told how to have sex, so I literally learned how to have sex from another classmate after our teacher walked out of the room, and I was like, wait, we didn't, nobody told me how you have sex, and then in middle school health class, we had just some pretty obnoxious, we giggle as we talk about the anatomy of your body, and then we move on, Um, Mm -hmm. so I actually am somebody who was never in a space with adults where they we're actually talking to me about about sexuality in a normal way or in a way that also was kind of tying it to this idea of identity and also intimacy and it, that the fact that it is all kind of well-rounded together. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah, I assume that sounds like you have the, we are a spectrum. I probably am on the opposite other end of what yours was then. Um, a big part of kind of my my spring awakening and kind of walking into my adulthood and my relationship with my body and and as it related to like partners that I wanted to ha- to have and boys that I wanted to date. Um, for me, it was really hard because and you're my age, so you probably felt this too. Dating apps were just becoming super duper normal when I was mm-hmm. in college. It went mm-hmm. from being like you creepily find people on the internet to like no, a lot of us aren't on this, and it's like actually, it's actually a place where you can find people who aren't creepy to go on dates with. And so a lot of my friends in college were, you know, on all of these different dating apps and trying to meet people. You know, I went to a huge big university, so there were forty thousand people just on campus. You know, lots of people to meet, and uh, I remember that was the last thing that I wanted in the whole entire history of the universe. And as I was talking about that with some of my best closest friends, they were like, well, why wouldn't you want to be on there? Like, what, why not? Like, we know that maybe you want to go on dates. You want to start to meet people. And I realized it literally was because I could not put pictures of my body up onto an app where that's all people had to go on. Like Mm -hmm. if I am in a space where you're judging me purely by the fact that, 
I have an appearance that also includes having one hand. I know I will be looked past every single time and I could not subject myself to that space and to that, that like known rejection. I knew that it was going to be known rejection. Um, so I'm just curious if I was alone in that feeling or were you kind of in the middle of dating apps? Have you tried dating apps? And what has it been like if you have? Cause I still never, I never have. I've always dated people that I've met, met, actually met. <laughs> Agreed. And I, I really love that you brought this up. Um, similarly, I have never opened, I've never downloaded a dating app. I've never completed any type of profile for anything. Lots of my friends have um, for exactly the same things that you have shared. Um, and sort of that, like, do I want to put myself, like, do I put pictures of my hand up there? Do I not put pictures of my hand up there? Um, I was sitting on the dumb seat with another flight attendant, and she was talking about how she went on a date with this, like, really cute guy. Um, you know, she was like really excited for the date and then he shows up and didn't have any teeth. And she's like, what? Like she was flipping out at the fact that this man didn't have any teeth and was throwing a tantrum. She's like, oh my God, I can't believe that. Like he went up, like, so she clearly did not continue going on a date with him. Um, but, and then she's like, and I went and looked at all the pictures and he's smiling at all the pictures, but isn't showing any of his teeth. So she just was like, oh my God, I can't believe that this person would show up like this and cheat me. So then I was like, oh my God, like. If I were to put myself there, I would be the girl that showed up and didn't have fingers if I didn't put that in yes. the pictures. Yes. And then even if I did put myself on the pictures, I think in my head, if I had if I had opened up a dating app and then put pictures of myself on there and then people were like, hey, what's your name? I was like, oh, you're get out of here. Like, there's no reason why you would actually want to date me after seeing my hand. Like, you are not real. I don't want to date you. Um, so I feel like there's lots of layers of internalized ableism and shame, right? So I, I, I viewed myself as somebody that was undateable. So then I proceeded to not put myself in situations like that because why would someone want to date me? So I feel yes. I, all the people that I dated have been yes. people that I've met and, and that I, I had like some type of, and, but even meeting them, like I assume that nobody wants to date me. I assume that. People are just talking to me, be nice. Like it takes a long time for me to get over that, um, which is real. This is a very yeah. real part of having a disability, I think, um, and thinking that I'm worthy enough to have real partnerships. Um, and mm -hmm. that then that we had to like get over that hump <laughs> by meeting in person several times before I felt comfortable enough to invite them into my spaces. And interestingly, so I do have a good friend who has one hand who met her husband on a dating app, but, but similar to us, I know that the profile that she set up was intentionally, yes, intentionally showing her arm, but she had done some really cool photo shoots for some really cool kind of brands. And so she was able to kind of use these model shots as a way to say like, no, I've been able to like use, use this difference in who I am to do some really cool things in here, like the beautiful ways that I've done this, um, which I think is really clever. But also I think that shows also too, like it's unfair that we should have to show those professional shots on a profile where other people aren't having to show their professional shots, right? Like that's, that's not fair either. Um, and I mean, her husband is amazing and they're so happy. And so like the greatest thing ever, but uh, like it just, 
yeah, it just has never been of interest to me because I just understand the stigma that we're up against. Um, kind of a, a step away from that, but one that I feel like is is in this stigma world. Um, when I meet people who don't know me who have babies, I that's weird because I know you're not like randomly walking into a space where you're like, hello, mother with a baby. Um, but like, <laughs> for example, I went with, um, this was a long time ago now, but like when I first started dating Nate, I, uh, we ended up in a situation where we were, we were with adult people and one of the couples had a baby. And so everybody, of course, was passing the baby around. Obviously, this was also pre-COVID. And, um, and when it came my turn to hold the baby, suddenly the mom was like, right by my side. And like, kept, like right away, like wanted to take the baby away from me and very clearly wasn't comfortable with her child being in my care because she thought I was going to drop her baby. I mean, that's what it came down to. And that's, that's not the first time that that has happened to me. And I feel like with our experts, we have a little bit of that start of layered conversation where society looks at you and thinks, how are you ever going to take care of a child? And that, because I haven't had one yet, I haven't encountered doctors really being like, now, are you sure? How are you going to do this? But I have encountered the mothers like that. And that tells me those mess that the messages I'm receiving in that moment is, oh, the people around me don't think that I am fit to hold, even hold a baby, let alone take care of one. Have you ever been in situations like that? Um, I hear you. I hear you so many thousands of percent. Um, and yeah, that, that is real. Um, and feeling that stigma, I don't, um, I don't have enough, I don't think I have enough people in my life who have babies. Um, so I don't know that I've had like that specific example. Um, but it's so accurate in, in feeling that, that the, that those are absolutely the messages that are, that are being had. Um, and then I almost think myself, like, how could I have a kid? Like I do so much of my life one handed. How can I lose my one hand if I'm holding a kid with that hand? Then how do I interact with the world? Um, or, or one arm or one body part or, or like, can so, so again, I know there's several of, you know, of our friends and people that we know that have limb differences have kids and, and I love watching their videos and, and all those things are great. But, but again, yeah, that, that is the, the baseline message is that we're sort of like unfit for living, let alone having children. Um, which I think if, if we want to go into to deep dive into that a little bit further, I think it's important um, to touch back on eugenics and how we as a, uh, the Euro anxiety, uh, Maybe those are the right words, but we as sort of this Western society in, in the United States have a long history of forced sterilization, and um, that is called eugenics. So eugenics is um, is a practice of, of forced sterilizing people because we've we've deemed them as being um, unfit to reproduce. And there was a big case on the Carrie Buck uh, versus um, I'm sorry Buck versus Bell um, case where it was a uh, three three families or three generations had um had child, children with um at the term i think it was feeble-minded but there were children with um developmental delays and then um the state was saying virginia maybe um was saying that they were um unfit to be parents so they were trying to force sterilize um the daughter to, to no longer have children anymore because they're like three generations of people with intellectual disabilities is enough and we don't need to have any more um 
Yeah. And just this idea that um, that we have to force people to not reproduce um, because we don't think that they're fit for society or the needs that they need in order to be, you know, effective parents or in order, like the, the things that they need in order to be parents are not acceptable needs. And I feel like all parents need things in order to be parents. No one parent is taking care of children completely by themselves, right? We're all massively interdependent um, with our parents who are raising kids. And, and I just feel like the needs that individuals who have a variety of different disabilities are those needs are like, not okay. You're not allowed to have those needs. And because you have this different set of needs than what normal society has, then like you're not allowed to be parents because we don't want to have to, yeah, quote unquote normal. Um, because we don't want to have to change the way that we think or care for or provide resources in order to be able to support those needs, right? So, mm-hmm. and it just makes me think of um, the story that um, Amanda was telling us and that what first got her really interested in um, sexuality to begin with when she was on her clinical placement and the woman that she was working with was put on birth control and didn't know what that was. So that's a form of sterilization, right? Like it wasn't going in and like medically altering her anatomy, but it still was putting her in a space where she could not reproduce. And, and whether or not that was like that part, still, like those are other people that have made that decision for her without communicating to her whether or not that was a decision that she wanted to make on her own. Yep, totally. Um, yes, absolutely. And, and the stigma that we're talking about, again, you know, between, between our awesome three experts, I feel like we talked about it with, with all of them, this idea of stigma, this idea of parenting, this idea of this different set of needs being to the world feeling so outlandish because of the stigma that it's just not even comprehensible, you know, almost is, is the, the feeling. I'm putting a word in people's mouths there, but um, it, it really kind of across the board, even though we were talking about different things with all three of these people, I feel like those are the things that really – um, shine through in the conversation, as well as really for me that the what we started with the idea that you know disabled bodies are just not sexual and they can't be mm-hmm. sexual and um, what a travesty that is. We should fix that. We should. We should. The other piece that I think is important to touch on is again this idea of intimacy and that. Uh, that people, people, just everybody, blanket statement people, they need um, touch and they need closeness. And and that closeness, yes, can be in the form of sex, but also is so much more than sex. And I feel like we talked about that, that gap that exists in intimacy also with all three of them. And I just want to highlight the importance of that feeling of closeness um, whether it be just with touch or cuddle or good conversation or, you know, baking an awesome cake and eating it together, food can be sex. Um, you know, that, that's so important. And it is something that, um, I think people are, again, the stigma are almost scared to touch a disabled body. And that sucks. It sucks. It does suck. And I, it makes me think of, of uh, and maybe you experienced this too, but I remember in high school, I went to a freshman orientation, and they had us standing in two concentric circles. So there's people on the inside and people on the outside. 
And then um, they wanted to turn our shoulders so that then we we're sort of like shoulder to shoulder of the person on the inside circle as on the outside circle. And then we we're facing each other. So the idea was that we would just march along in our circles and then, you know, we would high five everybody in the other circle. And of course it's on my left side. It could have been on my right side. It was on my left side. And just this like over and I'm beginning high school. Um, and this is my first day at this new school. Um, and how over and over and over again, just everybody seeing my hand, not wanting to touch my hand, seeing that this was me. Like, and I, it was so hot. I didn't have a sweatshirt to hide in. And it was just so exposed in that space. People would um, skip my hand. They would clasp my, the, my forearm. Like, they wouldn't even touch my actual hand. Um, so that, those are messages at, what, 13 that is telling me that the world wants nothing to do with my hand. So why would somebody who, like, I am opening up the deepest, scariest parts of my life to, like, right, intimate relationships are that, whether they're really close friends or somebody that you're having, like, you know, a a partnership in that sort of the ads and the the layer of, of, I don't know, whatever, but but somebody you're, like, in a relationship with and close friends, like, why open up myself so much more to these spaces when already the world wants nothing to do with me, right? So those are things I had to sort out as I entered adulthood and and that like I I received the messages that my body is gross like over and over again um which is just so sad um and, and I have never there, right? heard that story before Sarah that breaks oh. my heart that yeah. is such a like that is the worst possible in the history of the universe time for that to have happened like first day of high school I, my heart breaks for you in that, like, yeah. I, I'm sure it felt like it was like three hours long that you did that. And it probably was only like 15 minutes, but like, oh my gosh. Oh I my left, gosh. I went to the bathroom. I cried and I did not return to freshman orientation. Like Aww. I went, I like hid somewhere until the day was over. And then my mom came pick me up. Um, oh so yeah, we'll my fun. gosh, baby Sarah, <laughs> I just want to scoop you up and give you the biggest hug in the history of the universe. Of course we can't f***ing be sexual. Like, right? literally these are, uh, so mine isn't directly related to entering high school, but but a parallel experience for me, of course, because of course, um, we we in my hometown every April, we had a Civil War reenactment. Like, for real, like you see in Sweet Home Alabama, we had a reenactment, and it actually was really cool. Side note, yeah, like, did you? Yeah. You know that my dad and I do that, or like we were I, reenactors. I, okay, cool. And we yeah. have talked about this, which <laughs> is another reason why we're friends. Um, but yeah, it was like a huge part of my hometown culture, and so many people in my hometown would do reenacting on that weekend and it was it was like such a big deal and I knew every I like I still probably know like way too many facts about the Civil War and I'm like obsessed with Gone with the Wind even though you know it's also awful historically but like like all of those things because that was a part of my culture growing up okay that was way too much information on to the actual part that you need to know so in in the high school gym so Actually, actually, it was happening in probably the same space that yours was happening, but I was a little yep. younger. Um, we would have every year a ball, a Civil War ball, which was the most fun because you were learning, like, how to do the Virginia Reel and all these really, really fun, cool dances 
from back in the 1860s and they had an old school band on stage and everybody dressed up in beautiful hoop, hoop skirts like you see in Gone with the Wind for real. Um, and it was the best night. It was the best night. But as I started to get older, and I can't even tell you exactly what age it was, I suddenly, like, I remember, I remember the year, but, like, I don't re- I suddenly realized that I didn't want to do the, the partner dances, where there's a lot of dances in those times where you, like, pass between people, and mm-hmm. you change mm-hmm. partners a lot, and I suddenly stopped, and all of my friends were like, what are you doing, Nikki? Like, you love this dance. We know that you love this dance. And it was because I was at that age where suddenly I was like, I don't want to deal with people's reactions. I don't want to deal with every single new stranger grabbing for my left hand and instead going, oh, and having like a bad reaction to the fact that I was there with one hand or awkwardly not knowing what to do. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. again, that's like my parallel. I'm sure that was when I was entering kind of that middle school space that that happened. But I remember very distinctly my friend's, being like, but you love this dance, and me having to be like, I'm not doing it. I won't do it. Yeah, which is so real. And and similarly, anytime dancing, like I can't. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times that I've been dancing, and that like people would want to hold my hand, and they're like looking for my fingers. They think I'm just holding my hand in like a fist. So they'll like take their fingers, looking for my fingers, and then they will look at my hand, and the amount of like shock drop and release that happens and then they're totally freaked out they're totally uncomfortable and then they leave um like the amount of times that's happened is like so uncomfortable to the point where like I will hide my hand like people will try to reach for my hand and I'll be like you don't want my left hand I know it I know that you don't want my left hand you will only touch my right hand um yeah and 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 it's fun and it's cool there's this um I do feel the need to share the story. Um, and I was at a, um, where was it? I was at a bar in Budapest a couple years ago. Um, I took my sister to Budapest, which was so fun. And um, we were at this cool bar. There was like games and drinks in one area. And then there was like a little dance room where they had on, you know, like uh, Latino music. There was also like salsa-y things. So um, there was this guy who I met, um, who's very cute and, uh, we had been talking, but, and he spoke German. So we're trying to like translate with each other. Cause he spoke English, but like not super great. I don't, I can say I have a sister and one, two, three, five in German. That's the extent of my German. Um, and so I, we had sort of, we're talking and try to figure each other what we're saying with the loudness of everything that was happening. Um, and we didn't talk about my hand, but there was an opportunity for him to like see me. Um, I was wearing a tank top. And then um, I found it like later my sister and I did stuff whatever. And then we found I found him again in the in the salsa room. And like yeah, I like you know all that type of dancing, which is fun. And th- he just reached for my hand. And it it sounds like such a silly thing, but he just reached for my hand like that. He had seen it, he had acknowledged it, and he still wanted to hold on to it. So he reached for both of my hands as if it was not a problem in the world. And then we just danced. And it was like the most beautiful, most magical thing that, like, that happened when I was 27 years old. I was just about to say the fact that you remember it so vividly says everything, says everything. It is beautiful. It absolutely is beautiful. But the fact that that was the odd experience, that to you is the odd experience of just the acceptance and the beauty of you having a different total acceptance from a stranger. We don't feel that. We do. We never feel total acceptance from strangers, and it's us up, man. 
Amen. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I was, I think I was 28, 29 um, when I had that. And, and just that that was the first experience that had happened. I had gone almost 30 years of my life and that had never happened. And that happened once, one time um, is, is powerful. So, yes. Um, so let's talk about sex. Let's talk about disability people being sexual beings. And, and let's talk about people with disabilities seeing themselves as sexual beings. Because there's yeah. a lot of nonsense we have to get through in order to even do that. And yeah. and I didn't start dating anybody, like for real dating anybody, until I was like 19, 19 was my first like official, whatever, like serious boyfriend. Because I, I struggled so hard having friends in high school. I was like, there's no reason anybody would want to date me. Why would, would they want to date me? Like, I'm the, like, clearance item girl. Like, you could have any girl in the world. Like, why on earth would you want to talk to me? Like, what do I have anything same. else to give? A million percent same. A big, I mean, a big portion of it is I also grew up in purity culture. So I don't know which mm. to blame more, to be honest, mm-hmm. whether it was purity culture or whether it was a disability. The honest truth is that it's a huge mix of both. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I would like to think I've done my homework on both to understand and deconstruct now kind of, what those ideologies were and why they did not work, um, either one of, of them, uh, when it came to dating as a young person and what I wish people would have talked to me about instead. Um, mm-hmm. But I, oh, absolutely. Like I notoriously into all through high school and into college would not touch boys, would not be around them, would not be alone with them. And it had nothing to do with the fact that I didn't like them or I didn't want to hang out with them or be special to them. It had everything to do with the fact that I did not know how to be confident or ask for the acceptance and respect that I really needed in those spaces. Um, so to the, to the cute boys in high school and college who were kind to me that I never dated or kissed, still appreciate you. You were important. <laughs> Yeah. 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 And I also, I also want to address that I know that we are too, what, like, we are in our 30s, we are white women, we are also straight women. Um, and yeah. I feel like that's a really important thing to acknowledge that then if yeah. you have disability, then if you have sexuality, and then you have, there's a sort of baseline air quotes expectation. And I just want to say yeah. that I recognize that both you and I fit the baseline expectation yeah. in that we are both yeah. straight. And acknowledge that there's a lot of our friends and a lot of people with disabilities who do identify as parts of the LGBT communities, as different, you right, know, yeah. in expressing themselves in, in different ways. And, like, absolutely, those add so much more layers. Yeah, you're, what you're saying is that those are huge. Every time you add in a layer in sexual identity and sexual preference, that is another identity that is oppressed right now and Mm -hmm. that just adds a whole other layer of you're exactly right like we are talking about it from our our privileged standpoint Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. yes I think it's important that we acknowledge that and also say to the like people who are listening who maybe have some sort of different sexual preference or different um, identity in future seasons hopefully maybe season three we can throw in a lot more intersectionality episodes mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. just because we are acknowledging of course who we are as people and, and if we can pull in these experts from other areas and really focus in on these other intersectionalities um, we would love to to do that so know that that mm-hmm. is something that's been talked about and is something that hopefully we will bring to you very soon yes yeah. yes yeah. agreed so I think we 
probably should wind ourselves down here. But we certainly hope that you enjoyed the three experts that we were able to bring to you for this chapter. Um, we really respected speaking with them and, and we really um, respected the knowledge that they had and the work that they do. And hopefully you felt the same. Um, yeah. And stick with us. We actually, you guys, we only have one more episode left in this season. Can you believe it? Uh, so stay with us because our next episode, um, it'll be our final season to wrap up. And what you're going to hear about is kind of what our journey through this season looked and felt like, and maybe some of the things that we are dreaming about in the future, because in case you haven't picked up on it, Sarah and I are big dreamers, and we have a lot of plans, a lot of big plans. And so we would love for you to join us and listen in and get some ideas on what's coming next. We'll so see you. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for spending part of your day with us. We want to give thanks to our network, Public House Media, for our intro beats to Jason Bards with Cybernetics. Our local art, we want to remember Patrice. You can find his work at normalpersons.com. Be sure to follow Disarming Disability on Facebook and Instagram. And lastly, be sure to check out our website, disarmingdisability.com, where you can find all 13 episodes of season one, links to resources, transcriptions, and discussion questions for each episode. And check out our blog where we feature amazing disability advocates. See you next week. Bye. I'm flinging myself into spring cleaning. I'm going to fling into spring at Total Wine and clean up on Chardonnays and fruit-flavored vodkas at low prices. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, always low prices. Total Wine and more. To make sure millions of people are getting paid on time and in compliance, ADP is staying on top of each new piece of legislation. So when it comes down to it, ADP isn't just a payroll and HR company. We're the company that helps you navigate complexity. Learn more at ADP.com.